You're very welcome to a slightly late live stream from the Calm Projects podcast. Welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature and wellness. And I'm your co-host and project coordinator, Shane McKay. And I'm the other co-host and project coordinator, Chris Sneed. And uh, we love to talk about open, inclusive dialogue. And at the moment, we're doing literature. Yeah, and we're live too. Hello, everybody. Happy Saturday. I hope everybody's keeping well. Um, we've been a wee bit um, on a wee bit of downtime uh, the last while, Chris. Yeah, we've been taking it a little bit easy, you know. Yeah, because we did a lot of guests with some really, really great guests in, and we've got lots more great guests coming up. And you can check it out uh, at our free archives uh, on Spreaker.com, the Can Projects podcast on Spreaker.com. You've got free archives over there. Or if you'd like to help support the show, you can become a patron from for one euro a month plus fat on Patreon and you'll get access to ad-free content and early access stuff and today is a great example of some of the stuff um, that you no. kind of get a sneak peek on sometimes uh, so we're, we're doing a live reading today that goes out live and it'll be edited down and all of that and enhanced better for our patrons and it'll go up there for a while until we release it at a later date um, segmented um, so but, what you're going to get is an unpolished version yeah, live. Yeah. It's going to be live. Yeah. You know, so I'm really looking forward to it. What have we got today, Chris? Well, we're going to be starting on Ulysses by James Joyce, which is a, it's kind of an iconic book for a number of reasons. But I'm just going to read a bit of the introduction here, yeah? Because uh, there's, a, there's a quote from James Joyce, and it says, I've put in so many enig- enigmas and puzzles that it will keep professors busy for centuries argu- arguing over what I meant. And that's the only way of ensuring one's immortality. <laughs> yeah, what, James Joyce. What, what was that story you were telling me? I know you're going to go through it again later on during the reading, but what, what was that? There was some funny thing that happened. Uh, like it was well, banned, was it? It was. It was. It was, like, it was banned in America and England as an obscene book. And uh, there's there's a really clever anecdote about how um, they got it unbanned in America because it was a publisher was really desperate to print it. And uh, basically, they they got someone to get caught smuggling it, and they had to, you know, he got the judge to read it to prove it was an obscene book. And when it came back, like the judge was like, "Yeah, that's a great book." <laughs> you know. So before but, uh, we get into it, Chris, uh, we, we, you're going to read the blurb for us, and before you get backstage, and 
yeah. get 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 your read on. Um, so I suppose is there anything else now? Quickly, we need to update the audience about. Um, I suppose there is. Uh, oh yeah, previously advertised was that the wind and the willows was going to go out today. That's why we're actually on live is to explain yeah. that we have it. It's ready. It's coming out really nicely. And thanks to everybody for their support and their encouragement on the Wind and the Willows. It's, we've seen a lot of interest in it and it's one we're really excited about. So we've decided to go back and remaster uh, yeah. the, 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 the footage and it's coming out really nice. So we decided, you know, we'll give it, we'll give it another wee bit of time in the oven and make sure it's baked thoroughly. And yeah, we um, don't want no half baked stories. <laughs> I don't know, that <laughs> so we've actually three stories on the go at the moment. I hope that's not too much of a, 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 a but they'll be gradually going out one bit at a time. But if you're a patron, you'll get much you'll get a much bigger slice of the story in a go. So when we put um we're gonna be putting Wind and Willows up and that's gonna be the first half of the book and it's a three hour reading with advert free for our patrons so uh, you have that to look forward to the time machine I'm loving that Chris I have to say I'm really enjoying that one yeah yeah I do I do like my HG Wells like I'd I'd list them in the top five people that I read yeah actually Oh, we we got a wee clip to play for you in a minute, but yeah, we're, so that'll be coming again soon. Um, and there's also some other brilliant uh, stories and legends with Chris Need from some of our very very first early shows that we did. Mm. In fact, I think some of them are not actually on Spreaker. You'll have to go to YouTube. You'll find us on YouTube. The links are in the description if you want to find any of that stuff. As always, uh, but what did we do? We did some Norse tales, and um, we did a few Celtic ones. We did. Um some Irish ghost stories. Uh, God, we did a few different things. It's hard to remember. You know. Just the Halloween stuff as well. That That's that's oh, yeah. that's more, there'll be more coming in October for that as well. Um, so, tell you what though, how about I play the audience a wee clip, uh, Chris, and you might just double check on the streams while we're doing that. Yeah, I'll have a look on because them. I accidentally forgot to go live on Twitter, but we 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 hit, we 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 did hit Twitter. Hi to everyone on Twitter. Hi to everyone on Spreaker. Hi to everyone on YouTube. Hi to everyone on Facebook. Uh, that's it, I think. Is it? I'm not leaving anyone out, am I? That's it, I think. No, for today. Um, we will be. We're going to be hitting Twitch soon as well. Um, but we're kind of we're kind of working that out. Um, so I'm going to get pull up this uh, wind in the willows here, Chris. Yeah, and I'll check these things. Now, hopefully... Okay. Hello and welcome back for the sixth part of Kenneth Graham's The Wind in the Willows. So I'll just start off without much further ado. I'm frightfully hungry and I've got any amount to say to Ratty here. Haven't seen him for an age. So the good-natured mole, having cut some slices of ham, set the hedgehogs to fry it and returned to his own breakfast. 
while the otter and the rat, their heads together, eagerly talked river shop, which is long shop, and talk that is endlessly running on, like the babbling river itself. A plate of fried ham had just been cleared and sent back for more when the badger entered, yawning and rubbing his eyes, and greeted them all in his quiet, simple way, with kind inquiries for everyone. It must be getting on for luncheon time, he remarked to the otter. Better stop and have it with us. You must be hungry this cold morning. Rather, replied the otter, winking at the mole. And there you go. That's the wee snippy. And let me make sure Chris is on. There we go. So I am on. yeah, they are on. And we're go we're gonna go we're gonna go live with the with the reading soon, Chris, if you're if you're ready. But did you are we gonna do the blur before we take a wee break? Um I give you I give you a bit of James Joyce's life because it's fairly interesting. Oh great, yeah. So James Joyce's Ulysses is a super a supreme literary work. It is a dominant text of modernism modernism being radically experimental difficult, challenging in its technological and linguistic virtuosity. This is pretty technical, this <laughs> linguistic virtuosity. Yeah, we should mention that actually there's Latin and everything in this story yeah. I was listening to it earlier. It is astonishing and sometimes baffling, and it is also humorous, humane, and a moving novel. That term novel is convenient, though in its case an understatement, for the work is also an anti-novel fantasia. A compendium, an epic the author called it a kind of encyclopedia and it can seem autogeneric, one of its kind a squawking phoenix that could smash its way out of any uh, labelled pigeonhole you know so uh, like James Joyce was born in Ratgar in 1882 his father was from a rich family I'm, I'm paraphrasing here and attended Queen's College in Cork but never graduated he became a tax collector and then uh, became unemployed and spent all the money and sold all the property. Uh, James Joyce had 10 brothers and sisters. And um, so, like, you know, essentially he came from pretty uh, poor backgrounds. Mm. What what year was that uh, published, Chris? Do you know, do you know it offhand? Is it written um, there? Do do 1922 in Paris. Because the French let him get away with oh, that. Oh, 1922. Sort of That's that day mm. keeps showing up. Yeah, it does seem to, all right. Yeah. But um, yeah, because the French let him away with it. It couldn't be published in Ireland because uh, it was. Hey, do you know what then? It must be It must be the anniversary right about now, actually. Yeah. I That's mean, a nice coincidence. Year, These coincidences been... keep happening around here. Has it been Bloomsday already? Or is that ahead of us? I'm not sure, to be honest. Uh, the calendar is so. So messy. Yeah. I haven't seen that mentioned about it. Normally you'd see it on the TVs and, you know, they'd mention it on the radio and stuff. But, um, like, this year's Bloomsday should be uh, pretty big then. Mm. You know? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it must, it must, maybe it's probably, we would have heard if it was going to, it was yeah. happening already. I think it's in May, actually. So we have another few minutes before we hit the bumpers, Chris. Um, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I just want to say a big thanks to all the guests that we had last month. We had some great guests and they're mm. going to be back as well coming up soon. Uh, yeah. Some of the guests that we had. 
Actually, in fact, next month is all returning guests, guys. Okay, we got like we got some happy campers coming on to, to talk some more uh, more culture with us. Yeah. And um, yeah, big 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 thanks to everybody, I suppose, um, for all of our all of our support and thanks to our patrons out there and our subscribers yeah. and everybody out there. We're almost at can a year now. The countdown is on to the yeah. one year anniversary, which will be in July, I think. Is that right? Yeah. July, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we'll, we'll we'll spend all our profits on a big blowout party. We might have <laughs> two and a half really expensive coffees. <laughs> yeah. uh, there'd be no cream in that, though. Oh yeah, I suppose we'll have to dip into the emergency fund for cream. <laughs> uh, hey, speaking of jokes, Chris, have you got any good jokes for me today? Um, I, 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 let me rephrase that. Have you got any jokes for me today? Oh, <laughs> oh. Um, I don't know. Um, you have me on the spot now. Give me a topic and I'll pick a joke. <laughs> what's what's uh, what's brown and sticky? A brown stick. Ah, you got me. <laughs> but what's pink and fluffy? Pink fluff. Yes. What's dark and fluffy? Oh, I know, but I'm not going to spoil it. Pink fluff in the dark. <laughs> ah, I th- okay. I thought you were going to say something else. It's probably better I didn't speak, actually, now that I think about it. So never mind about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just getting over a cough, by the way, guys. Okay. I haven't, be- I have not been well. I didn't have COVID. I don't think. the ant- None of the antigen tests came back as it with a result. But I'm, I'm getting, I'm two weeks getting over a cold. A really, really heavy cold, and it's stoned around. You can probably hear it on me now a little bit. I'm just about over. Luckily, it didn't uh, get on my chest too much. But people are probably starting to say, this is clickbait. Where's James Joyce? Where's Ulysses? So I suppose Ulysses. we should start, <laughs> start getting on with it, should we, Chris? Yeah, we probably should. Now, it is the Dublin Ulysses, not the one in the future in space. So, you know, anyone hoping for Ulysses 21? It's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and like we said, you'll be getting you'll be getting seg- segmented, um, probably half hour uh, shots of this. I'm not sure when 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 it'll be going out. The next thing coming out, what was due to be the Wind in the Willows Part Six, but that so that'll yeah. be coming up soon. We're not really putting a tight time on how often the stuff goes out, but there'll be at, on average maybe two stories a month, maybe more. It could be more. We're going to yeah. see. It's just like trying to fit everything in. Um, but we would like to get them out kind of sooner rather than later. But we're still well, we're we're working mm. things out here, really, aren't we, Chris? Yeah, pretty much. We're still <laughs> fumbling around, Ari. Yeah, a wee bit, a wee bit. Mm. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna. If you want to go back uh, stage, Chris, and I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. start. I'll take the old headphones off and get ready. Okay, great. Listen, thanks. I'm looking forward to this. Thanks so much. No worries. Uh, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See you later, Chris. Thanks. Longerfall. Now that's Chris gone off backstage and I'm going to get the stuff ready here that I have to do and hopefully when I press this button it's not going to go jing Okay that's it guys enjoy bye bye from Can Projects Here at Can, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue for people who are interested in our previous shows 
You can find our free archives at Spreaker.com, at the Can Project Podcast on Spreaker.com, or you can also find ad-free content on Patreon.com for as little as one euro a month plus fat. You can help contribute. We do need help, so check us out on either Patreon or Spreaker.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to Kansas. All new customers will receive $100 in free bets. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and sign up with code SWING. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and over. Physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com sportsbook. Subject to regulatory licensing requirements. One per customer. $100 issued as $425 free bets. No purchase necessary for sweepstakes. Void where prohibited. And first day DraftKings is allowed to operate in Kansas. See terms at dkng.co slash ks. Are you an artist or creator with a social conscience? Do you have an inspiring story or material to share that's helpful to people? Are you an expert on culture, arts, nature, or wellness? If this sounds like you or someone you know, we'd love to hear from you at Can Projects, where we advocate that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and environment. Our talk show Can Projects podcast reaches 20-plus online platforms and features insightful, inspiring, and expert guests. You can check out the show on our free archives on Spreaker.com and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel very welcome to email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com. Help each other. Help us all. going to be starting with this live stream a brand new book it's going to be Ulysses by James Joyce now it was a very controversial book in its time there may be one or two things in it that are not terribly suitable for younger viewers but um, I, doubt, I doubt they'll be interested in this book you know uh, there's an interesting story actually about it being banned in America and there was a publisher in America really wanted to publish the book. So what he did was he hired someone to try and get caught smuggling a copy into America. So the plan was to get caught. But when you're, when the guy arrived in the port, um, security was just waving everyone through. And he literally had to go up and go, like, check my bag. There's something in there that you don't want me having. So, uh, just adjust this camera. So, yeah. So, he got arrested for smuggling the book in because it was an obscene book. And 
his, his the way they were defending him was well how can you say it's an obscene book if you haven't read it your honor so the judge had to read it and then declared that was a very good book and he really enjoyed it so um it got published in america because it was officially judged not to be an obscene book so ulysses james joyce James Joyce's astounding masterpiece, Ulysses, tells of the diverse events which befall Leopold Bloom and Stephen Daedalus in Dublin on 16th of June 1904, during which Bloom's voluptuous wife, Molly, commits adultery. Initially deemed obscene in England and the USA, this richly elusive novel, revolutionary in its modernizing, modernistic experimentalism, was hailed as a work of genius by W.B. Yeats, T.S. Eliot and Ernest Hemingway so we will get into it stately plump book oh this is the thing about live stuff (coughs) stately plump book mulligan came from the stairhead bearing a bowl of lather on which a mirror and a razor lay crossed. A yellow dressing gown, ungirdled, was sustained gently behind him by the mild morning air. He held the bowl aloft and intoned, Introlliable ad alter day. Halted, he peered down the dark winding stairs and called up coarsely, Come up, Kinch. Come up, you fearful Jesuit. Solemnly he came forward and mounted the round gun rest. He faced about and blessed gravely thrice the tower, the surrounding country and the awakening mountains. Then catching sight of Stephen Daedalus, he bent towards him and made rapid crosses in the air, gurgling in his throat and shaking his head. Stephen Daedalus, displeased and sleepy, leaned his arms on the top of the staircase and looked coldly at the shaking, gurgling face that blessed him. Equine in its length, and at the light, untonsored hair, grained and hued like pale oak. Buck Mulligan peeped an instant under the mirror, and then covered the bowl smartly. Back to barracks, he said sternly. He added in a preacher's tone. For this, O dearly beloved, is the genuine Christine body and soul and blood and ounce slow music please shut your eyes gents one moment let the trouble about those white corpuscles silence all he peered sideways up and gave a long low whistle of call then paused a while in rapt attention his even white teeth glistening here and there with gold points Christomos Two strong shrill whistles answered through the calm. Thanks, old chap, he cried briskly. That'll do nicely. Switch off the current, will you? He skipped off the gun rest and looked gravely at at his watcher, gathering about his legs the loose folds of his gown. The plump, shadowed face and sullen oval jowl recalled a prelate, patron of the arts in the Middle Ages. A pleasant smile broke quietly over his lips. The mockery of it, he said gaily. Your absurd name, an ancient Greek. 
He pointed his finger in friendly jest and went over to the parapet, laughing to himself. Stephen Daedalus stepped up, followed him wearily halfway and sat down on the edge of the gunrest, watching him still as he propped his mirror on the parapet, dipped a brush in the bowl and lathered his cheeks and neck. Buck Mulligan's gay voice went on. My name is an absurd one too. Malachi Mulligan. Two dactyls. But it has a Hellenic ring, hasn't it? Tripping and sunny like the book himself. We must go to Athens. Will you come if I can get the aunt to fork over twenty quid? He laid the brush aside and laughed with delight. And cried, Will he come? The jejun Jesuit? Ceasing, he began to shave himself with care. Tell me, Mulligan, Stephen said quietly. Yes, my love. How long is Haynes going to stay in this tower? Buck Mulligan showed a shaven cheek over his right shoulder. God, isn't he dreadful, he said frankly. A ponderous Saxon. He thinks you're not a gentleman. God, these bloody English. Bursting with money and indignation. Because he comes from Oxford, you know. Daedalus, you have the real Oxford manner. He can't make you out. Oh, my name for you is the best. Kinch, the knife blade. He shaved warily over his chin. He was raving all night about a black panther, Stephen said. Where is his gun case? A woeful lunatic, Mulligan said. Were you in a funk? I was, Stephen said, with energy and growing fear. Out here in the dark with a man I don't know raving and moaning to himself about shooting a black panther. You saved me. F- you saved men from drowning. I'm not a hero, however. If he stays on here, I am off. Buck Mulligan frowned at the ladder on his razor blade. He hopped down from his per- perch and began to search his trouser pockets hastily. Scutter, he cried tickly. He came over to the gun rest and thrusting a hand into Stephen's upper pocket said, Lend us a loan of your nose rag to wipe my razor. Stephen suffered him to pull out and hold up on show by its corner a dirty crumpled handkerchief. Buck Mulligan wiped the razor blade neatly. Then gazing over the handkerchief he said, The bard's nose rag, a new art colour for our Irish poets, snot green. You can almost taste it, can't you? He mounted to the parapet again, parapet, again, and gazed out over Dublin Bay, his fair oak pale hair stirring slightly. God, he said quietly, isn't the sea what algae calls it, a grey sweet mother? The snot green sea, the scrotum tightening sea. Epi Onwapa Pontun Ah, Daedalus the Greeks. I must teach you. You must read them in the original. Talata, Talata, she is our great sweet mother. Come and look. Stephen stood up and went over to the parapet. Leaning on it, he looked down on the water and on the mail boat clearing the harbour mouth of Kingston. 
our mighty mother, Buck Mulligan said. He turned abruptly from his searching eyes. <clears throat> he turned abruptly his great searching eyes from the sea to Stephen's face. The aunt thinks you killed your mother, he said. That's why she won't let me have anything to do with you. Someone killed her, Stephen said gloomily. You could have knelt down, damn it. Kinch, when your dying mother asked you, Buck Milligan said. I'm a hyperborean, as much as you. But to think of your mother begging you, with her last breath, to kneel down and pray for her, and you refused. There is something sinister in you. He broke off and laughed and lathered again. Light. He broke off and lathered again lightly his farther cheek. A tolerant smile curled his lips. But a lovely murmur, he murmured to himself. Kinch, the loveliest murmurer of all. He shaved evenly and with care, in silence, seriously. Stephen, an elbow rested on the jagged granite, leaned his palm against his brow and gazed at the fraying edge of his shiny black coat sleeve. Pain, that was not yet the pain of love, fretted his heart silently. In a dream, she had come to him after her death. Her wasted body within its loose brown grave clothes, giving off an odour of wax and rosewood. Her breaths had been bent upon him, mute, reproachful, a faint odour of wetted ashes. Across the treadbare cuffedridge, cuffage, he saw the sea held as a great sweet mother by the well-fed voice beside him. The ring of bay and skyline held a dull green mass of liquid. A bowl of white china had stood beside her deathbed, holding the green sluggish bile which she had torn up from her rotting liver by fits of loud groaning and vomiting. Buck Mulligan wiped again at his razor blade. Ah, the poor dog's body, he said in a kind voice. I must give you a shirt and a few nose rags. How are the second-hand breeks? They fit well enough, Stephen answered. Buck Mulligan attacked. Buck Mulligan attacked the hollow beneath his underlip. The mockery of it, he said contentedly. The mockery of it, he said contentedly. Second leg they should be. God knows what poxy bowsy left them off. I have a lo lovely pair with a hair striped grey. You look spiffing in them. I'm not joking, Kinch. You look damn well dressed when you're dressed. Thanks, Stephen said. I can't wear them if they are grey. He can't wear them, Buck Mulligan told his face in the mirror. Etiquette is etiquette. His mo He kills his mother, but he can't wear grey trousers. He folded his razor neatly, and with stroking palps of his fingers felt the smooth skin. Stephen turned his gaze from the sea, and to the plump face with its smoke-blue mobile eyes. That fellow is wit in the ship last night, said Buck Mulligan. Says you have a GPI. He's up in Dottyville with Conley Norman, general of paralysis of the insane. He swept the mirror in a half circle into the air. 
to flash the tidings abroad, in sunlight now radiant on the sea. His curling shaven lips laughed, and the edges of his white glittering teeth laughed. Laughter seized all of his strong, well-knit trunk. Look at yourself, he said, you dreadful bard. Stephen bent forward and peered at the mirror held out to him, cleft by a crooked crack hair on end, as he and the others see me. Who chose this face for me? This dog's body of rid to rid of vermin. It asks me too. I pinched it out of the skivvy's room, Buck Mulligan said. It does her all right. The aunt always keeps plain-looking servants for Malachi. Lead him not into temptation. And her name is... We'll take a break just now. We'll be back with more from the Cam Projects podcast after these short messages. Here at Can, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue and sometimes a bit of literature as well. So, Chris, we're going to, we're, we're opening up a new chapter in the readings, the classic stories for Chris Needs. Yeah, we're going to be starting on The Time Machine, which is a classic, classic H.G. Wells novel. It's a classic for a reason as well, because it's really, really good. I love it. It's been made into a film a few times and uh, sometimes musicals, audio dramas. Chris Need, Classic Readings. My sound man, Shane McKay, has his business called MacSoundServices.com. That's M-A-C-K, SoundServices.com. What he does for me is I send him my shows and he, he does audio enhancements and stuff like that. He does miracles if you see some of the stuff I send him and how it comes back. So get a hold of Shane at MacSoundServices.com. M-A-C-K SoundServices.com. You're all very welcome back to the Can Projects podcast. Welcome back. So we'll continue on from where we left off. Well, as close to it as we can find quickly. Who chose this face for me? This dog's body to rid of vermin. It asks me too. I pinched it out of the skivvy's room, Buck Mulligan said. It does her all right. The aunt keeps plain-looking servants for Malachi. Lead him not into temptation. And her name is Ursula. Laughing again, he brought the mirror away from Stephen's peering eyes. The rage of Caliban at not seeing his face in the mirror, he said. If Wilde were only alive to see you. Drawing back and pointing, Stephen said with bitterness, Is it a symbol of Irish art? The cracked looking glass of a servant? Buck Mulligan suddenly linked his arm in Stephen's and walked with him round the tower. His razor and mirror clacking in the pocket where he had trust. The ra- his razor and mirror clacking in the pocket where he had trust them. It's not fair to tease you like that, Kinch, is it? He said kindly. God knows you have more spirit than any of them. Parried again, he fears the lancet of my art as I fear that of his. The cold steel pen. Cracked looking glass of a servant. Tell that to o- the oxy chap downstairs. And touch him for a guinea. 
He's stinking with money and thinks you're not a gentleman. His old fellow made his tin by selling jalap to Zulus or some bloody swindler or other. God, Kinch, if you and I could only work together, we might do something for the islands. Hellenize it. Cranley's arm. His arm. And to think of you having to beg from these swine. I'm the only one who knows what you are. Why don't you trust me more? What have you up your nose against me? Is it Haynes? If he makes any noise here, I'll bring down Seymour. And we'll have him a ragging horse. I'll bring down Seymour and we'll have him a ragging worse than they gave Clive Kempthorpe. Young shouts of moneyed voices in Clive's in Clive Kentop's rooms. Pale faced they hold their ribs with laughter, one clasping another. Oh I shall expire. Bring the news to her gently, Aubrey, I shall die. With slit ribbons of his shirt whipping the air, he hops and hobbles round the table, with trousers down at heels, chased by aids of Magdalen with the tailor's shears, a sacred calf's face gilded with marmalade. I don't want to be debagged. Don't you play the giddy ox with me? Shouts from the open window, startling evening. Shouts from the open window, startling, startling evening in the quadrangle. A deaf gardener, aproned, masked with Matthew Arnold's face, pushes his mower on the sombre lawn, watching narrowly the dancing moats of grass helms. To ourselves, new paganism, umphalos. Let him stay, Stephen said. There's nothing wrong with him except at night. Then what is it? Buck Mulligan asked impatiently. Cough it up. I'm quite frank with you. What have you against me now? They halted, looking towards the blunt cape of Bray Head that lay on the water like the shout of a sleeping whale. Stephen freed his arm quietly. Do you wish me to tell you? he asked. Yes, what is it? Buck Mulligan answered. I don't remember anything. He looked on Stephen's. Fa- he looked in Stephen's face as he spoke. A light wind passed his brow, fanning softly his fair, uncombed hair and stirring silver points of anxiety in his eyes. Stephen, depressed by his own voice, said, "Do you remember the first day I went to your house after my mother's death?" Buck Mulligan frowned quietly and said, "What? Where?" I can't remember anything. I remember only ideas and sensations. Why, what happened in the name of God? You were making tea, Stephen said, and I went across to the landing to get more hot water. Your mother and some visitor came out of the drawing room. She asked you who was in your room. Yes, Buck Mulligan said. What did I say? I forget. You said Stephen answered. You said Stephen answered, oh, it's only Daedalus, whose mother is beastly dead. A flush which made him seem younger and more engaging rose to Buck Mulligan's cheek. Did I say that? he asked. Well, what's the harm in that? He shook his constraint from him nervously. 
And what is death, he asked. Your mother or yours or my own? You only saw your mother die. I see them pop off every day in the matter and Richmond. And cut up into tripes in the dissecting rooms. It's a beastly thing and nothing else. It simply doesn't matter. You wouldn't kneel down to pray for your mother on her deathbed when she asked you. Why? Because you have the cursed Jesuit strain in you. Only it's injected the wrong way. To me it's all a mockery and beastly. Her cerebral lobes are not functioning. She calls the doctor St. Peter. Teasel and picks buttercups off the quilt. Humour her till it's over. You crossed her last wish in death. And yet you sulk with me because I don't whinge like some hired mute from the Lutz. Absurd. I suppose I did say it. I didn't mean to offend the memory of your mother. He had spoken himself into boldness. Stephen shielded the gaping wounds which the words had left in his heart. She said very coldly, He had spoken himself into boldness, Stephen shielding the gaping wounds with which the words had left in his heart, said very coldly, I am not thinking of the offence to my mother. Of what then, Buck Mulligan asked? Of the offence to me, Stephen answered. Buck Mulligan swung round on his heel. Oh, the impossible person, he exclaimed. He walked off quickly round the parapet. Stephen stood at his post, gazing over the calm sea towards the headland. Sea and headland now grew dim. Pulses were beating in his eyes, veiling their sight, and he felt a fever on his cheeks. A voice within the tower called loudly, Are you up there, Mulligan? I'm coming, Buck Mulligan answered. He turned towards Stephen and said, Look at the sea. What does it care about offences? Chuck Leola, Kinch, and come on down. The Sassnock wants his morning rashers. His head halted again for a moment at the top of the staircases, level with the roof. Don't mope over it all day, he said. I'm inconsequent. Give up the moody brooding. His head vanished, but the drone of his descending voice boomed out of the staircase. And no more turn aside and brood upon love's bitter misery. For Fergus rules the brazen cars. Wood shadows floated silently by through the morning peace from the stairhead seaward where he gazed. Inshore and further out the mirror of water whitens, burned by light-shod hurrying feet. White breast of the dim sea, the twinning stresses two by two, a hand plucking the harp string, merging their twinning chords. Or merging their twining chords. Wave white wedded words shimmered on the dim tide. A cloud began to cover the sun slowly, shadowing the bay in deeper green. It lay behind him, a bowl of bitter waters. Fergus's song, I sang it, alone in the house holding down the long dark chords. Her door was open. She wanted to hear my music. Silent with awe and pity, I went to her bedside. She was crying in her wretched bed for those words, Stephen. Love's bitter misery. Where now? 
her secrets old feather fans, tasseled dance cards, powdered with musk, a god of amber beads in her locked drawer. The birdcage hung in the sunny window of her house when she was a girl. She heard old Royce sing in the pantomime of Turco. The terrible... She heard old Royce sing in the pantomime of Turco the terrible and laughed when others sang, which he sang. I am the boy that can enjoy invisibility. Phantasmal murk folded away, musk perfumed. And no more turn aside and brood. Folded away in the memory of nature with her toys. Memories beset his brooding brain. Her glass of water from the kitchen tap when she had approached the sacrament. A cord apple filled with brown sugar, roasting for her at the hob on a dark autumn evening. Her shapely fingernails reddened by the blood of squashes of squashed lice from the children's shirts. Her shapely fingernails reddened by the blood of squashed lice from the children's shirts. In a dream, silently, she had come to him. Her wasted body within its loose grave clothes giving off an odour of wax and rosewood. Her breath spent over him with more, with mute secret words, a faint odour of wetted ashes. Her glazing eyes staring out of death to shake and bend my soul on me alone. The ghost candle to light her agony. Ghostly light on the tortured face. Her hoarse loud breath rattling in horror while all prayed on their knees. Her eyes on to me on me to strike me down. Liat Sorry, pronunciations <clears throat> Liliata Rotalium Te Confessorium Turma Circumdet Eublatarium Te Virginium Chorus Excipiat, ghoul, chewer of corpses. No mother, let me be and let me live. Kinch ahoy, Buck Mulligan's voice sang from within the tower. It came nearer up the staircase, calling again. Stephen, still trembling at his soul's cry, heard warm running sunlight and in the air behind him friendly words. Daedalus, come down like a good mosey. Breakfast is ready. Haynes is apologising for waking us last night. It's all right. I'm coming, Stephen said, turning. Do for Jesus' sake, Buck Mulligan said. For my sake and for all our sakes. His head disappeared and reappeared. I told him your symbol of Irish art. He says it's very clever. Touch them for a quid, will you? A guinea, I mean. I get paid this morning, Stephen said. The school kip, Buck Mulligan said. How much for... Four quid, then this one. If you want it, Stephen said. Four shining sovereigns, Buck Mulligan cried with delight. We'll have a glorious drunk to astonish the druidry druids. Four shining sovereigns, Buck Mulligan cried with delight. We'll have a glorious drunk to astonish the druidy druids. Four omnipotent, omnipotent sovereigns. He flung up his hands and tramped down the stone stairs, singing out of tune with a cockney accent. Oh, won't we have a merry time, drinking whiskey, beer and wine? 
on Coronation, Coronation Day. Oh, won't we have a merry time on Coronation Day? Warm sunshine merrying over the sea. The nickel shaving bowl shone, forgotten on the parapet. Why should I bring it down? Or leave it there all day, forgotten friendship? He went over to it, held it in his hands a while, feeling its coolness, smelling the clammy slaver of the lather in which the brush was stuck. So he carried the boat of incense, then at Clongowns. I am another now, and yet the same, a servant too, a servant of a servant. In the gloomy, doomed living room of... In the gloomy, domed living room of the tower, Buck Mulligan groaned for... <sighs> Sorry. On the plus side, I'm not shouting out expletives. In the gloomy, domed living room of the tower, Buck Mulligan's gowned form... Well, we'll take a break there for the moment. And I'll be back in a second. We'll be back with more from the Calm Projects podcast after these short messages. Are you an artist or a creator with a social conscience? Are you an expert on culture, arts, nature or wellness? We would love to hear from you at Calm Projects, where we advocate active engagement positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and environment our talk show camp projects podcast reaches 20 online platforms and features insightful inspiring and expert guests feel very welcome to email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com for people who are interested in our previous shows you can find our free archives at Spreaker.com, at the Can Projects podcast on Spreaker.com. You can also find ad-free content on Patreon.com. You can help contribute. We do need help. So check us out on Patreon or Spreaker.com. You're all very welcome back to the Can Projects podcast. Now, welcome back. Where was I? A servant of a servant. In the gloomy domed living room of the tower, Buck Mulligan gowned fo- Buck Mulligan's gowned form moved, bris- moved briskly about the heart to and fro, hiding and reveling its yellow glow. Uh. Chris, get with it. In the gloomy, domed living room of the tower, Buck Mulligan's gowned form moved briskly about the heart to and fro, hiding and revealing its yellow glow. Two shafts of soft daylight fell across the flagged floor. From the high barbitions and at the meeting of their rays, a cloud of coal smoke and fumes of fried grease floated, turning. We'll be choked, Buck Mulligan said. Haynes, open the door, will you? Stephen laved Stephen laid the shaving bowl on the locker. A tall figure rose from the hammock where it had been sitting, went to the doorway and pulled open the inner doors. Have you the key? A voice asked. Daedalus has it, Buck Mulligan said. 
Janie Mac, I'm choked, he held, without looking up from the fire. Kinch, it's in the lock, Stephen said, coming forward. The key scraped round harshly twice, and when the door had been set ajar, welcome light and bright air entered. Haynes stood at the doorway looking out. Stephen hailed his upended valise to the table and sat down to wait. Buck Mulligan tossed a fry onto the dish beside him. Then he carried the dish and a large teapot over to the table, set them down heavily and sighed with relief. I'm melting, he said, as the candle remarked, when... But hush. Not a word more on that subject, Kinch. Wake up. Bread, butter, honey, Haynes, come in. The grub is ready. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. Where's the sugar? Oh, Jay, there's no milk. Stephen fetched the loaf and the pot of honey and the butter cooler from the locker. Buck Mulligan sat down in a sudden pet. What sort of kip is this, he said. I told her to come after eight. We can drink it black, Stephen said. There's a lemon in the locker. Oh, damn you and your Paris fads, Buck Mulligan said. I want Sandy Cove milk. Haynes came in from the doorway and said quietly, The woman is coming up with the milk. The blessings of God on you, Buck Mulligan cried, jumping up from his chair. Sit down, pour out the tea there. Sugar is in the bag. Here, I can't go fumbling at the damned eggs. He hacked through the fry on the dish and slapped it out on three plates, saying, In nomine patris et filili et spiritus sancti. Sancti, yes, thank you. In nomine patris et filii et spiritus sancti. Haynes sat down to pour the tea. I'm giving you two lumps each, he said. But I say, Mulligan, you do make strong tea, don't you? Buck Mulligan's hewing... Buck Mulligan, hewing thick slices from the loaf, said in an old woman's wheeling voice, When I make tea, I make tea, as old mother George Grogan said. And when I makes water, I makes water. By Jove, it is tea, Haynes said. Buck Mulligan went on hewing and wheedling. So I do, Miss Cahill, says she. Be all my ma, says Miss Cahill. God send you, don't make them in the one pot. Ah... <laughs> <laughs> uh. God send you, don't make them in the one pot. He lunged towards his messmates in turn, a thick slice of bread impaled on his knife. That's folks, he said very earnestly, for your book, Haynes. Five lines of text and ten pages of notes about the folk and the fish gods of Dundrum. Printed by the weird sisters in the year of the big wind. He turned to Stephen and asked it in a fine puzzled voice, lifting his brows. Can you recall, brother... Is Mother Grogan's tea and water pot spoken of in the Mabinogion? Or is it in the Upanshids? I doubt it, said Stephen gravely. Do you know, Buck Mulligan said in the same tone, Your reasons pray. I fancy, Stephen said as he ate, It did not, it did not exist in or out of the Mabinogion. Mother Grogan was one of 
was one imagines a kinswoman of Marianne. Buck Mulligan's face smiled with light. Charming, he said in a final sweetie voice, showing his white teeth and blinking his eyes pleasantly. Do you think she was? Quite charming. Then suddenly overclouding all his features, he growled in a hoarse and rasping voice as he hewed another slice of bread vigorously from the loaf. For old Marianne, she doesn't care a damn, but hissing up her petticoats. He crammed his mouth with fry and munched and drones. The doorway was darkened by an entering form. The milk, sir. Come in, ma'am, Mulligan said. Kinch, get the jug. An old woman came forward and stood by Stephen's elbow. That's a lovely morning, sir, she said. Glory be to God. To whom? Mulligan said, glancing at her. Had to be sure. Stephen reached back and took the milk jug from the locker. The islanders, Mulligan said. Haynes casually. <clears throat> Stephen reached back and took the milk jug from the locker. The islanders, Mulligan said to Haynes casually, speak frequently of the collector of prepuces. How much, sir? asked the woman. A quart, Stephen said. He watched her pour into the measure and thence into the jug rich white milk. Not hers, old shrunken paps. She poured again a measureful and a tilly. Old and secret, she had entered from a morning world, maybe a messenger. She praised the goodness of the milk, pouring it out. Crouching by a patient, by a patient cow at daybreak in the lush field, a witch on her toadstool, her wrinkled fingers quick at the squirting dogs. They lowed about her, whom they knew, do silky cattle, silk of the kind, and the poor old woman, names given in her in old times, a wandering crown, lowly form of an immortal serving her conqueror. A wandering crown, lowly form of an immortal serving her conqueror and her gay betrayer, their common cook queen, a messenger from the secret morning, to serve or to upbraid, whether he could not tell, but scorned to beg her favour. It is indeed, ma'am, Buck Mulligan said, pouring milk into their cups. Taste it, sir, she said. He drank at her bidding. If only we could live on good food like that, he said to her somewhat loudly, we wouldn't have the country full of rotten teeth and rotting guts. Living in a bog swamp, eating cheap food, and the streets paved with dust, horse dung, and consumptive spits. Are you a medical student, sir? said the old woman. I am, ma'am, Buck Mulligan answered. Stephen listened in scornful silence. She bowed her... She bowed her... Uh. Stephen listened in scornful silence. She bows her head to a voice that speaks to her loudly. Her bone setter... Her medicine man. Me she slights. To the voice that will shrive and oil. For the grave all there is of her. But the woman's unclean loins of man's flesh. Made not in God's likeness. The serpent's prey. And to the loud voice that now bids her be silent. With wandering unsteady eyes. Do you understand what he says? Stephen asked her. 
Is it French you are talking, sir? The old woman said to Haynes. Haynes spoke to her again, a longer speech, confidently. Irish, Buck Mulligan said. Is there Gaelic on you? I thought it was Irish, she said, by the sound of it. Are you from the West, sir? I am an Englishman, Haynes answered. He's English, Buck Mulligan said, and he thinks we ought to speak Irish in Ireland. Sure we ought to, the old woman said, and I'm ashamed I don't speak the language myself. I'm told it's a grand language by them that knows. Grand is no name for it, said Buck Mulligan. Wonderful, entirely to... Wonderful entirely. Fill us out some more tea, Kinch. Would you like a cup, ma'am? No, thank you, sir, said the old woman, slipping the ring of the milk can on her forearm and about to go out. Haynes said to her, Have your bill. We had better pay her, Mulligan, hadn't we? Stephen filled the three cups. Bill, sir, she said, halting. Well, it's seven mornings a pint at twopence is seven twos is a shilling and twopence over and these three mornings a quart at fourpence is three quarts and a shilling. And one and two is two and two, sir. Buck Mulligan sighed and having filled his mouth with a crust thickly buttered on both sides stretched forth his legs and began to search his trouser pockets. Pay up and look pleasant, Haynes said to him, smiling. Stephen filled a third cup, a spoonful of tea coloured faintly in the thick, rich milk. Buck Mulligan brought up a florin, twisted it round his fingers and cried, A miracle! He passed along the table towards the old woman, saying, Ask nothing more of me, sweet. All I can give you, I give. Stephen laid the coin in her uneager hand. We'll owe one twopence, he said. Time enough, sir, she said, taking the coin. Time enough. Good morning, sir. She curtsied and went out, followed by Buck Mulligan's tender chant. Heart of my heart, where more. More would be laid at your feet. He turned to Stephen and said, Seriously, Daedalus, I'm stony. Hurry out to get your skip school kip and bring us back some money. Today the birds must drink and junk it. Ireland, Ireland accepts Ireland expects that every man to this day will do his duty that reminds me Haynes said rising that I have to visit your national library today our swim first Buck Mulligan said he turned to Stephen and asked blandly is this the day for your monthly wash Kinch then he said to Haynes the unclean bard makes a point of washing once a month. All Ireland is washed by the Gulf Stream, Stephen said, as he let honey trickle over a slice of the loaf. Haynes from the corner where he was knotting easily a scarf about the loose collar of his tennis shirt spoke. I intend to make a collection of your sayings, if you will let me. Speaking to me, they wash the tub and scrub. Adjumbite of inwit. Conscience. Yet. Here's a spot. That one about the cracked looking glass of a servant being the symbol of Irish art is a deuce good. Buck Mulligan kicked Stephen's foot on the table and said with warmth of tome, Wait till you hear him on Hamlet, Haynes. Well, I mean it, Haynes said, still speaking to Stephen. I was just thinking of it when that poor old creature came in. Would I make money by it, Stephen asked. Haynes laughed and took his soft grey hat from the hold fast 
of the hammock and said, I don't know, I'm sure. He strolled out the doorway. Buck Mulligan bent across to Stephen and said with coarse vigour, You put your hoof in it now. What did you say that for? Well, Stephen said, the problem is to get money. From whom? From the milkwoman? Or from him? It's a toss-up, I think. I blow him out about you, Buck Mulligan said, and then you come along with your lousy leer and your gloomy Jesuit jibes. I see little hope, Stephen said, from her or from him. Buck Mulligan sighed tragically and laid his hand on Stephen's arm. From me, Kint, she said. In a sudden changed tone, he added, To tell you God's truth, I think you're right. Damn all else they are good for. Why don't you pray them as I do? To hell with them all. Let us get out of this kip. He stood up gravely ungirdled and disrobed himself of his gown, saying resignedly, Mulligan is stripped of his garments. He emptied his pockets on the table. There's your snot rag, he said, and putting his stiff collar and rebellious tie, he spoke to him, chiding them, and to his detangling watch chain. His hands plunged and rummaged in his trunk while he called out for a clean handkerchief. Agent Bite of Inwit. God is... We'll be back with more from the Cam Projects podcast after these short messages. Here at Can, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue, and sometimes a bit of literature as well. So, Chris, we're gonna we're we're opening up a new chapter in the readings, the classic stories for Chris needs. Yeah, we're going to be starting on the Time Machine, which is a classic, classic H.G. Wells novel. It's a classic for a reason as well, because it's really, really good. I love it. It's been made into a film a few times, and uh, sometimes musicals, audio dramas. Chris Need, Classic Readings. My sound man, Shane McKay, has his business called MacSoundServices.com. That's M-A-C-K SoundServices.com. What he does for me is I send him my shows and he, he does audio enhancements and stuff like that. He does miracles if you see some of the stuff I send him and how it comes back. So get a hold of Shane at MacSoundServices.com. M-A-C-K SoundServices.com. You're all very welcome back to the Can Projects podcast. Buck Mulligan sighed tragically and laid his hand on Stephen's arm. From me, Kinch, he said. In a sudden change of tone, he added, To tell you God, the God's truth, I think you're right. Damn all else they are good for. Why don't you play them as I do? To hell with them all. Let us let us get out of this kip. That, that seems like a good spot for another break. Because I need to uh, wet my mouth and uh, give a cough. You know, I'll be back in a second. <laughs> <clears throat> Chris, we already had the ads. You're gonna have. I hope that's water you're drinking, is it? Yeah. <sighs> so. Th- 
So this is where the ads usually go, well, but Chris... Welcome back. I hope the ad break wasn't too long for you. No. Where was I? As they used to do in the 80s cartoons, I'm going to jump back a line or so so that we, uh, you know... I see little hope, Stephen said, from her or from him. Buck Mulligan sighed tragically and laid his hands on Stephen's arm. From me, Kinch, he said. In a suddenly changed tone, he added, To tell you God's truth, I think you're right. Damn all else they are good for. Why don't you play them as I do? To hell with them all. Let us get out of this kip. He stood up, gravely ungirdled and disrobed himself of gowns, saying resignedly, Mulligan is stripped of his garments. Mulligan is stripped of his garments. He emptied his pockets onto the table. There's your snot rag, he said. And putting on his stiff collar and rebellious tie, he spoke to them, chiding them, and to his dangling watch and his dangling watch chain. His hands plunged and rummaged in his trunk while he called for a clean handkerchief. Agenbite of Inwit. God, we simply have to dress the character. I want puce gloves and green boots. Contradiction. Do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself. Mercurial Malachi. A a limp black missile flew out of his talking hands. And there's your Latin quarter hat, he said. Stephen picked it up and put it on. Haynes called to them from the doorway. Are you coming, you fellows? I'm ready, Buck Mulligan answered, going towards the door. Come out, Kinch. You have eaten all we left, I suppose. Resigned, he passed out with grave words and gait, saying well nigh with sorrow. And going forth, he met Butterly. Stephen, taking his ash plant from its leaning place, followed them out, and as they went down the ladder, pulled to a slow iron pulled to the slow iron door and locked it he put the huge key in his inner pocket at the foot of the ladder Buck Mulligan asked did you bring the key I have it Stephen said preceding them he walked on behind him he heard Buck Mulligan club with his heavy bat towel the leader shoots of fern and grass down sir how dare you Haynes asked. Do you pay rent for this tower? Twelve quid, Buck Mulligan said. To the Secretary of State for war, Stephen added over his shoulder. They halted while Haynes surveyed the tower and said at last, rather bleak in wintertime, I should say. Martello, you call it? Billy Pitt had them built, Buck Mulligan said, when the French were on the sea. But ours is the Apollo... Hmm. Billy Pitt had them built, Buck Mulligan said, when the French were on the sea. But ours is the Amphalos. What is your idea of Hamlet? Haynes asked Stephen. No, no, Buck Mulligan shouted in pain. I'm not equal to Thomas Aquinas and the 55 reasons he has made to prop it up. Wait till I have a few points of me first. He turned to Stephen, saying, as he pulled down neatly the peaks of his primrose waistcoat, you couldn't manage it under three points, Kinch, could you? 
It has waited so long, Stephen said listlessly. It can wait longer. You pique my curiosity, Haynes, said amiably. You pique my curiosity, Haynes, said amiably. Is there some pardon? <laughs> See, this is getting close to where I have to stop. And I'm sorry, but like, this is how the sausage is made, you know? <laughs> you don't want to know how the sausage is made. <clears throat> it has waited so long, Stephen said listlessly. It can wait longer. You pique my curiosity, Haynes said amiably. Is it some paradox? Pooh, Buck Mulligan said. We have grown out of wilds and par- paradoxes. It's quite simple. He proves by algebra that Hamlet's, Hamlet's grandson is Shakespeare's grandfather. And that he himself is the ghost of his own father. What? Haynes said, beginning to point at Stephen. He himself? Buck Mulligan slung his towel stolewise round his neck, and bending in loose laughter said to Stephen's ear, O shade of Kinch the Elder, Jafat in search of his father. We're always tired in the morning, Stephen said to Haynes, and it is rather long to tell. But Mulligan walked forward again, raising his hands. The sacred pint alone can unbind the tongue of Daedalus, he said. I mean to say, Haynes explained to Stephen as they followed this tower. And these cliffs here remind me of me somehow. The sacred pint alone can unbind the tongue of Daedalus, he said. I mean to say, Haynes explained to Stephen as they followed, this tower and these cliffs here remind me somehow of Elsinore, that beetles o'er his base into the sea, isn't it? Buck Mulligan turned suddenly for an instant towards Stephen, but did not speak. In the bright silent instant, Stephen saw his own image in cheap dusty morning between their gay attires. It is a wonderful tale, Haynes said bringing them to a halt again. Eyes pale as the sea, the wind had freshened, paler, firm and prudent. The sea's ruler, he gazed southward over the bay, empty save for the smoke plume of the mailboat, vague on the bright skyline, and a sail tacking by the muglins. I read a theological interpretation of it somewhere, he said, bemused. The father and the son idea. The son striving to be atoned with the father. Buck Mulligan at once put on a blithe, broadly smiling face. He looked at them. His well-shaped mouth opened happily. His eyes from which he had suddenly withdrawn all shrewd sense. Blinking with mad gaiety. He moved the doll's head to and fro. The brims of his Panama hat quivering. And began to chant in a quiet, happy, foolish voice. I am the queerest young fellow that you ever heard. My mother's a Jew, my father's a bird. With Joseph the joiner, I cannot agree. So here's to disciples and cavalry. He held up a forefinger of warning. If anyone thinks that I am divine, he'll get no free drinks when I'm making the wine. But to have, but have to drink water and wish it were plain... Then I make 
Right, I'm going to jump back to the beginning of that one. If anyone thinks that I am the vine, he'll get no free, free drinks when I'm making the wine, but have to drink water and wish it were plain, that I make when the wine becomes water again. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. He capered before them, down towards the forty-foot hole, fluttering his wing-like hands, leaping nimbly. Mercury's hat quivering in the fresh wind that bore back to them his brief bird-like cries. Haynes, who had been laughing guardedly, walked on beside Stephen and said, We oughtn't to laugh, I suppose. He's rather blasphemous. I'm not a believer myself, that is to say. Still, his gaiety takes the harm out of it somehow, doesn't it? What did he call it? Joseph the Joiner? The Ballad of Joking Jesus, Stephen answered. Oh, Haynes said. You have heard it before. Three times a day after meals, Stephen said dryly. You're not a believer, are you? Haynes asked. I mean a believer in the narrow sense of the word. Creation from nothing and miracles and a personal God. There's only one sense of the word, it seems to me, Stephen said. Haynes stopped to take out a smooth silver case in which twinkled a green stone. He sprang it open with his thumb and offered it. Thank you, Stephen said, taking a cigarette. Haynes helped himself and snapped the case too. He put it back in his side pocket and took from his waistcoat a nickel tinderbox, sprang it open too, and having lit his cigarette, held a flaming spunk toward... <laughs> He put it back in his side pocket and took from his waistcoat pocket a nickel tinderbox, sprang it open too, and having lit his cigarette, held a flaming spunk towards Stephen in the shell of his hands. Yes, of course, he said as they went on again. Either you believe or you don't, isn't it? Personally, I couldn't stomach the idea of a personal God. You don't stand for that, I suppose. You behold... You beholding me, Stephen said. You beholding me, Stephen said, with a grim displeasure, a horrible example of free thought. He walked on, waiting to be spoken to, trailing his ash plant by his side. Its ferrule followed lightly on the path, squealing at his heels. My familiar after me calling, Stephen! A wavering line along the path. They will walk on it tonight. Coming here in the dark. He wants that key. It is mine. I paid the rent. Now I eat his salt bread. Give him the key too. All he will ask for it. That was in his eyes. After all, Haynes began. Stephen turned and saw that the cold lay. Stephen turned. That was in his eyes. After all, Haynes began. Stephen turned and saw that the cold gaze which he had measured him was not all unkind. After all, I should think you are able to free yourself. You are your own master, it seems to me. I am the servant of two masters, Stephen said. An English and an Italian. Italian, Haynes said. A crazy queen, old and jealous, kneeled down before me. At a third, Stephen said. 
There's who wants for me odd jobs. Italian, hear me? Haynes said again. What do you mean? The Imperial British State, Stephen answered, his colour rising, and the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostle Church. Haynes detected detached from his underlip some fibres of tobacco before he spoke. I can quite understand that, he said calmly. An Irishman must think like that, I dare say. We feel in England that we have treated you rather unfairly. It seems history is to blame. The proud potent titles change up. <laughs> it seems history is to blame. The proud potent titles clanged over Stephen's memory. The triumph of their brazen bells. Et unam sanctum catholicum et aspiltician ecclesian. The slow growth and change and of right and dogma like his own rare thoughts, a chemistry of stars, symbol of the apostles in the mass for for the Pope, Marcellus. The voice blended, singing alone, loud in aff affirmation. And behind their chant, the vigilant angel of the church, militant, disarmed and menacing her. her, her the voices blended, singing alone in loud affirmation. And behind the chant, the vigilant angel of the church, militant, disarmed and menacing her heresiarch. A horde of heresies fleeing with mistress awry. Photius and the brood of mockers of whom Mulligan was one. And Arius, warring his life long upon the constabulary of the son with the father. And Valentine, spurning Christ's terrene body, and the subtle African heresiac Sableus, who held that the father was himself his own son. Words Mulligan had spoken in a moment since in mockery to the stranger, idle mockery. The void awaits surely all them that weave the wind, a menace, a disarming and a worsening from the from those embattled angels of the church, Michael's host, who defend her ever in the hour of conflict with their lances and their shields. Hear hear, prolong the pause. Zut nom de Dio Of course I'm a Britisher, Haynes. The void awaits surely all them that weave the wind. A menace, a disarming and worsening from those embattled angels of church, Michael's host, who defend her ever in the hour of conflict with their lances and their shields. Hear, hear, prolonged applause. Zut nom de do. Of course my Britisher, Haynes' voice said, and I feel as one. I don't want to see my country fall into the hands of Germans, Jews either. That's our national problem, I'm afraid, just now. Two men stood at the verge of a cliff, watching businessman, boatman. Well, 
I think I best leave it there at that. Whew. That was a bit of a tough one. What were you going? What, 20 pages in? You know? Well. Talk to you again. Bye now. And the Can Project's email is canprojects.info at gmail.com and you'll find a link to the Can Project's website in the description. All the best. Projects Culture, Arts, Nature and Wellness is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact CAN Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. Are you super interested in shiz culling and get totally excited by pyramid programs? Do you feel ready to give your money to a faceless stranger on a pinky promise of endless returns? Then this is not the podcast for you. <laughs>